welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is our 477th show of ROI, and our guest is Dr. James Kenyon, author, who's going to be talking to us about his book, Echoes in the Hallways. Joining us for the second segment of the show will be our history buffs, Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. So to begin with, welcome to the show, Jim. Glad to have you on. Thank you very much. I'm very interested in participating. Excellent. We call this first segment Farikta Naren, and our goal really is just to give listeners a little bit of background on today's subject. So let's start off with a simple one. Uh, can you tell us uh, some of the reasons why you decided to write this book? Well, I went immigrant to Iowa. 45 years ago, originally from the state of Kansas, and I had written a book about the former high schools in my home state, and uh, it had 105 counties. It took me 18 months and 12 trips back to Kansas to get to all 105 counties, and after that, the book was published, and I took a breather, and people said, you should do this in Iowa also. And I'd forgotten. It was almost like a sore muscle. I'd forgotten how much it hurt, and... So on January 1 of, of 2019, I started the quest to do it in Iowa, and it took me 18 months, of which the last four of those were during COVID. So that's why I've done it, and I've learned so much about the state and I, our beloved state that I have made my life. Okay, so I guess I'll start with the COVID because that's very interesting. We've talked to a number of guests over the last year or so um, who've talked about the difficulties of trying to do research when you can't get physical access to people or things because COVID was going on. How did COVID and, and even its precursors affect the way you were researching your book? Well, I started these, uh, uh, contacts by phone calls, usually to a public library. If the, if the town still had a library, it, to me, it meant that they still had a heartbeat. Or if I didn't, I would call the county seat library and or the, uh, the bank in the town to find out a little information. So I had lined all of these uh, interviews up and I would try to do them regionally so I could have three or four or five in an area so that I wasn't hopscotching all over the state. Well, uh, I spend three months out of the year in Florida writing and organizing. And so I had lined up the last 16 counties to do uh, in for April of 2020. And of course, we get back and one after the other starts dropping out on me. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've got to reorganize this. Everyone said, well, give it a, a while and we'll see if we can meet again. So by, by June of 2020, I had reorganized all of the counties, all of 90, most of them in the southeast corner of the state, to make one whirlwind trip to try to hit them all. And I, I did it, and everyone was wonderful. We met sometimes in city parks, on park benches. But most of us were without a mask at that time, and some of them were very careful. And I, I'm not trying to say that I wasn't careful, too. But uh, that's how COVID sort of put an interruption in my plans. Sure. Um, I, I think 
all of our listeners have probably had a situation where we, we either knew of some school that had closed or we knew somebody who had been in a school and the school was no longer there. Um, I know my uh, the junior high that I went to um, was closed and became an administration building for a little while and then was sold to... Um, to uh, to a private organization, so it doesn't exist as a school. Give us a little hard data. How many schools did you look at that had closed or consolidated or whatever? I can't give you that specific number, but at one time we had in the state twenty two hundred school districts. Some of those were grade school districts, and so I can't tell you that there were that many high schools. But to give you an idea, we're down to about three hundred and forty school districts presently. Now, some of those school districts have multiple high schools with them in the metro areas, but uh, that gives you an idea of how they shrunk. Some counties had up to 10 high schools in the county, and they now only have one. Uh, There's one county seat that doesn't have a high school. And so it depended on uh, the economy. It depended on the farming techniques. It depended on abandonment of railroads. Uh, the towns uh, were so vibrant and from approximately 1910 until post-war up to 1960. And uh, that was the era of, of the good old days, which we think were good old days. But uh, I know that they struggled in those towns, too, at that time. All right. Well, we certainly have a lot to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. If you are wondering how to find out where locals love to go, there's a website called localsloveus.com. Or you can pick up a Locals Love Us guide around town as well. Localsloveus.com. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords, and this is the second segment of the show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Dr. James Kenyon, author, and we're talking about his book, Echoes in the Hallways. Our history buffs for today's show are Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. Terry, as a former librarian, why don't you start us off? Oh, thank you. Yes, uh, Jim, I I loved your book. Um, My grandparents, my mother's parents, both of them were county superintendents long ago in Iowa. In fact, my grandfather was a county superintendent for 27 years and grandmother for 12 years uh, for Powashik County. So, of course, I found it very interesting as to the history of the uh, private schools, the consolidations, and so on that occurred in our state. So my question is, um, one of the things I found most also fascinating was the rules for teachers back then. You have one printed uh, for 19, I believe it's 1916, in Cass County, the school district, pol- or excuse me, 1915, the school district policy where teachers cannot marry during the year of their contract. Um, They cannot wear bright colors. They certainly cannot loiter in ice cream uh, shops. Anyway, are there other favorite stories, like one of your favorites, that you'd like to share with us? Well, um, it's like many of those 
uh, schools that husband and wife could not teach in the same school. Um, rules, um, there were several several towns that I was amazed. They had uh, student strikes, and if they they maybe did not like the discipline that was handed down, they struck. They had a strike and walked out of school. It was not a very popular way to, to uh, get the attention of, of the community. One particularly interesting one uh, was uh, the town of Okaboja, where I guess there's no town. It was a high school out in the country. And a teacher, a principal at that time, was hired, and uh, he had been married before. It was not asked on his uh, interview or his application if he'd been mar- had been previously married, but somehow the community or the area found out that he had, and they didn't want him rehired. And uh, so they decided they would go to try to get his job at the school board and the students found out about it and they walked out of school and they walked two miles out in the country to the board president's house and found him at home at lunch and uh, told him that why they were there and they thought it was unfair and he said well you know i think this was very good on this board president to think of this he says you know i think we need to have a hearing and so would you come to the next board meeting so the students all showed up at the board meeting too and they, at this uh, meeting, the, the uh, board president said, I understand we have a, a question or a problem maybe that has arisen in our, in our school and uh, the fact that possibly our, our principal had been married previously and, and we have people that don't think that this is appropriate and to, to teach our students. So he said, Mr. Neff, I think it was his name. Would you mind addressing this? And so the, the principal stood before the board and told him, yes, indeed, he had been uh, married before, but he didn't find that this was any problem in teaching uh, the students. And he said, and if it hadn't have been for a couple of old hands scratching around in the dirt to find this, this would have never, been, never come up. To which a farmer stood up and said, are you calling my wife an old hand? <laughs> Of course, he was rehired, and that was that was a possibly a, an interesting thing. It didn't have to do with school code, but it did have to do with uh, an issue that today we would not find very. Uh, we would accept that problem today. All right, Ed, do you have a question? Um, yeah, Jim. Um, when you interviewed people uh, for the book uh, in places where the schools had closed. Um, what was their greatest sense of loss? Uh, my my minimal acquaintance with so, this sort of thing is that people always talk about the sports teams or maybe the marching band, but the very notion of losing that academic center, um, I don't know, is that on the list? Well, certainly. I I think that many of them had were alumni of their of their schools when they were. Well, most of the people that I did were alumni or previous community leaders. I would meet sometimes with two, upwards of 20 people that depended on the person I was able to contact and how many people they could attract to the interview. And uh, it also showed that there was still some vibrancy back in that, that little community. Uh, as far as to closing, and pot, this is not unique to me, but 
the statement, when you lose your high school, you lose your town. And I think that was really the feelings of so many people. And it, I, I throw sports in there, yes, but my book was not intended to be just writing about sports. And I did have a few, and I did have sports involved, but there was every other uh, thing involved with that school. And most importantly, I think, uh, was I would always ask the question, who were your notable, who was one of your notable teachers? Mm-hmm. And the group would look around each other and they would all pause and then somebody would mention a name and then somebody else would mention a name. And my comeback was, tell me about them. And I would say invariably about a third of them were the English teacher and uh, sometimes the coach, but the English teacher was probably the one that made a bigger, biggest memory for, for many of these interviewees. Um, Jim, I'm just interested. Uh, our co-host John Keeley has been um, talking for years about uh, the decision by the state legislature to continually uh, underfund education and has complained that that had uh, a lot to do with wanting to force rural communities to consolidate their school systems without anybody having to, to stand up in front of their constituents and say, I'm the one who shut down such and such school. Um, I'm just wondering, so what kind of economic impact do you see um, in these districts or, or these areas where schools or districts have, have closed or consolidated? Um, you know, what, what seems to happen to the community economically when this kind of thing takes place? Well, in some of these towns, and I think uh, this doesn't have to just be Iowa, some of these towns, the best paid employee or person in the town was the teacher or the principal. So it gives you a little idea of the uh, demographics of the community. Um, as far as very few of the communities wanted to lose their school. And well, I'll tell you then, if when they did, it took out a good 10 to 15 or so families, teachers. And again, it took out that uh, income or that expending expense in that community. And so it was a a cascading uh, event and it continues. Uh, Some of the towns, of course, have found a way to uh, continue to uh, exist. Others are very painful and it's very painful for me to go to those and I know that we have a state, a U.S. senator that may, tries to make all 99 counties uh, every year, and I did it in 18 months, and I just, I, I've i found so many interesting stories from, from all over the state. Terry. As far as, you mentioned as far as uh, the state forcing them to, to close, I know the Department of Education their mission was not necessarily money. They they continued to think that it was the quality of the education. And I will back that up and say, uh, I don't agree with that. They, the teachers were every bit as good in those small schools. And 
then we we started having uh, open enrollment, and I think open enrollment did a heck of a lot more damage to the little school than than the state trying to figure out uh, to close them down to save money. Sure, Terry. Yeah, Jim, I liked the many different things that you had put in your book for the different schools, um, including such as the notable teachers, uh, notable graduates. And then one in particular I found very interesting. You also included a military history of some of the graduates, um, a section on killed in action. Can you tell me why you decided to include that? Well, I will tell you, in a smaller town, those people know when that person was killed. It was, I think, the town of Milo. They flew, the the teacher looked out the window and saw the flag at half-mast across the way. Uh, it was a lot, it was very personal to to those communities. The town of, of uh, Everly, the town of, of Arnold's Park lost men in, in Vietnam. Young men who had been uh, sports in, in their community and, and families in the country uh, who were all known by so many people. And I think in our metro areas, we hear the news, but we don't feel the pain. And so that's why I included that part. I had the one from Alta Vista, where two neighborhood boys growing up together, one went down in Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 41. The other one was killed on Christmas Day in the Battle of the Bulge. So it, those stories, I just think it's, I thought it was important to keep keep that uh, little bit of history alive. Ed. Thanks, Jay. Um, Jim, when these these rural school districts consolidate, you've talked about how the, you know, kind of the life goes out of the town. Um, Does any of that resurface in a larger school district? Do these little towns that were once sort of mortal enemies now kind of bury the hatchet and, okay, now we're just a larger community, more widespread? Well, I will say, and I, I firmly believe this, uh, when two neighboring towns have to consolidate, at one time they probably considered themselves fierce rivals. And uh, after they consolidate, the parents never forget that rivalry, but the kids, when they go to the different school, they they're not the problem many times it's the parents that still harbor that uh, that memory um and unfortunately many times when two schools consolidate they go to the other town they either build onto that building but eventually a number of those have closed also i think of southeast hamilton it was a they schools three schools joined in blairsburg and uh, they had southeast hamilton had a nice enrollment and now this last year, I understand Southeast Hamilton is closed. So it's um, continuing to be be written. And um, uh, I will share also, many of you may know this, but a third of the of these school children, public school children in the state of Iowa are in Polk County. So it um, what may be good for Polk County may may not be good for Alamakee or Fremont or Lee or Lyon County. But that's that's the uh, equity of education across the state. 
Jim, I'm interested in, you, you talked about, you know, the memories and English teachers in, in particular. Um, did you get a chance to visit the buildings that, that were no longer schools and see whether or not they were, had been repurposed in communities? Were they just sitting empty? Um, and, and what kinds of um, sort of emotional reactions? Because I'm just thinking of, I'm in a in a very urban. I grew up in an urban environment, and uh, I had a chance to go back to my old junior high, which was no longer being used as a school um, for uh, for an activity. And it was a weird, creepy feeling to yeah. to walk into that building and have it not have and and have it feel like a school, and yet completely not feel like a school. Right. So I'm interested in how in what kind of feelings you had as you were you know looking at these areas and maybe well, walking around in some of them. To uh, to further tell you a little about myself, I had five in my high school graduating class, so I had an empathy for a small school, and I will tell you probably. It was all over the board as far as what has happened to these former high schools. And uh, this is my, my, I guess, way of looking at it. Some of them were torn down, and there's a little plaque there. And to me, that is the most peaceful way. That's the nicest way to have a cemetery is to have a little <laughs> plaque. And the worst is the one that still has the windows knocked out, and there's so much asbestos in it, and it's not hasn't even been able to have any future life. And I will tell you, there's one at Nottaway that is sits up on a hill, and I can imagine how gorgeous it was at its time in the 30s. And uh, then there are at least three that have been repurposed, one at Shelby, one at Lakota, and one at Sutherland. It's not in the book, but I, was, I went through that and what the community has done with that one. That school, I believe it's in O'Brien County, and uh, it has a, had a swimming pool for, in the high school, and they've made it a senior living center. The one at Lakota has been bought, purchased, and it has been made into condominiums, as, as the one in Shelby has. And then in between that, uh, I'll share some down in your area. They still try to use them for a community center. Those those uh, cafeterias they had wonderful kitchens in them. They they still have community uh, events there. One in Prescott, I believe it was. Uh, families have bought the high school, and they all have family reunions in that that little village. Um, those are that's sort of all over the over the map with with what has been done to the to the former building itself. Okay, Terry, you get the last question of this segment. All right, thank you. I will just say on a personal note, it is really disconcerting to walk by and or drive by and see a, your former elementary school being knocked down. Uh, I just yeah. drove by and I was sitting not so long ago and uh, Herbert Hoover was being demolished and I was there in sixth grade and I still remember when our sixth grade teacher announced that President Kennedy had been assassinated Certainly. when we came back from lunch. But yeah. my question very quickly is, um, can you talk about, was there a trend as to certain periods of time in the uh, 1900s when consolidation took place? I would tell you, uh, when there were so many one-room country schools, they had their own school district. And eventually, they had to be invited in and or had to petition in to become a part of the school district where the high school was. Many of these high schools were two-year high schools, 
Then they they established a third year and a fourth year. Uh, usually the county seat town towns always had four-year high schools. And so in the teens, there was a law, a, a rule passed by the, the, the state uh, that in order to be accredited, you would have to be a four-year high school. So I would say 1916 was a real uh, watershed uh, event where they built schools, so many schools, high schools, and that was, of course, right during World War One. And uh, but it, they still were able to get it done. The larger percentage of the, my stories, anyway, closed in the 1960s, and I had um, one just closed two years ago, Everly, and it was a vibrant town in. Uh, Clay County, and there, there was there was a league in that county that that it only existed from from those little schools. Uh, the little town south of Spencer, I think they told me at one time I didn't write about this one. I think they told me they had twelve different zip codes to go to that high school, and it's probably still not a very big big high school. Sure. All right. We are kind of at the end of the segment, but before we end, it is customary that we give our guests the last word. So, Jim, why do you think knowing about the history and impact of closed schools in Iowa is relevant in today's world? Well, um, generational. Uh, I think Terry mentioned it, said that her father had been a, a superintendent, and uh, those those superintendents were every bit as good as as the superintendents we have now. And they, I would say, another problem that happened was it became difficult to attract uh, teachers to to rural or more rural areas. And as far as being relevant, I think we still have the uh, issues of a teacher shortage presently. Uh, we have even even difficulty of recruiting teachers to to some of these smaller ca- uh, counties. And so it it um, I will say that the students across the state are equitable. They they're just as good from from the, the the little high school with 20 graduates as they are with 200. Sometimes they don't have the 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 AP classes that they have, some of them turn out every bit as well and well-balanced uh, for their communities. And uh, it, it is part of our culture that we have become more urbanized. And uh, I just think it's one of those things that I hope that we will not forget our past. Okay. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This 
This concludes our 477th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme. It was written and performed by Mark Zap Saptel. My name is Jay Swords. We'd like to thank our guest, Dr. James Kenyon, author, who talked to us about his book, Echoes in the Hallways. The history buffs for today's show were Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all of our listeners to experience the great Pasutu proverb, Hotsa Pula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. Thank you.